Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveller who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Welcome to another weekly melting pot episode. Today I'm in conversation with Rashanta Devanesan. Uh, Rashanta is based in Singapore. She's a jewelry designer. She founded a jewelry brand in 2009, which is called Kadambari Jewels or Jewelry. And I'm so happy to be talking to Rashanta today. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Pile. So just a little bit about you before we actually, you know, start talking about your absolutely exquisite jewelry and how that came about. So a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally and how long have you been in Singapore? And did, you know, designing jewelry come to you organically or is it something that you have studied in the past so so just a little background to you would be great great so pile i am uh, from sri lanka originally born there spent the first 12 years of my life there and then i moved to bangalore to boarding school at bishop cottons my sister and i went on to do my university in chennai got married to my husband who's also from sri lanka but who was studying at IIT Bombay at that time. We got married and then also spent the next 12 years in India where our children were born. And uh, so as I think everybody knows, India has played a very, very big part in our lives. Although we do go back to Sri Lanka very often because that's still home, but we also combine it with going to India. Now, career-wise, I started off as marine insurance executive way, way, way back before I got married, that was. And then there was this upheaval in Sri Lanka, the race riots, which is when we returned to India. Didn't do anything much in India as such. It was just bringing up the kids and all that sort of thing. Came to Indonesia in 91 and I started teaching in school and did a master's in education. So when I moved to Singapore in 2000 and 
no, well, actually, 1995, I started teaching here in high school. Did that for a bit, but it wasn't really my calling. I used to paint sort of sporadically, but I wasn't a very handy work kind of person. So the jewelry thing was a very organic thing that came about. I went to Brazil in 2007 with my husband who was on a project there. And I found a lot of my friends who were there were already beading and doing things like that. And I started painting actually, because Brazil, the churches, the colors, it was all amazing. And so we would all sit together and I would do a watercolor. They would be making some jewelry and I'd give them a watercolor. They'd give me a necklace. It sort of started like that. And then I kind of got hooked, strung a few things and, you know, asked my friend to finish it off for me. And one day she just said, you need to learn how to do this. And actually, it is just a matter of finishing off the edges of, of a necklace. And what you do in the middle is all up to you. So it started like that. And then suddenly I realized that there was all this beautiful silver in India, which I hadn't really looked at before. And so I started doing a lot of old Indian jewelry in the beginning, you know, collecting old antique pieces, putting them together in a slightly more contemporary way. Where were you collecting from while you were traveling within India? Or... Yes, okay. while, while I was traveling. And that brought me in contact with the first Indian charity that I started working with, I India in Jaipur. And we, I, we still do a lot of work with them, my husband and I, and a lot of uh, the profits from my sales support the work they do with street children, rescuing of street children. So initially it was, I would travel to India to work with our India a little bit, design for their vocational centers, pick up all the little bits and pieces I needed. And then I suddenly sort of started reading about things because my interest is in jewelry is not so much the adornment part, but what it actually meant, because old jewelry had meanings far beyond looking pretty or making somebody look pretty. It was worn for different reasons, protection, status, all kinds of things. And then, you know, sort of I went into looking at Afghani jewelry, the Kachi and the Banjara, and then the Hazara, which is so different, because again, you found a lot of that in India. And little by little, then I moved on to reading about Moroccan jewelry, mainly because it's so different from Indian jewelry. You see, how, the in how is it different? Well, this is the thing. The Indian subcontinent has had influence in so many ways on surrounding geographical reasons, regions. If you look at Oman, if you look at even Yemen, there's a strong link between India, the designs, the techniques. And Morocco, for some reason, is very different. I think it's because the tribes were all in the Atlas Mountains with very little outside links. And although Marrakesh was a big trade route, it was, it was an offshoot from sort of the, the Silk Road that went in Iran. And maybe there wasn't that much of an Indian influence there because it is really, really very different. So I was fascinated with Moroccan jewelry. I traveled there twice. Is the material different? Is the, the designing of the jewelry different? Is See, it uh, the material a lot of the time is silver because gold, except in the north, which was in Meknes and places like that and were strongly influenced by Europe uh, and Egypt, 
gold was not a big part of tribal Moroccan jewelry. Tribal Moroccan jewelry was worn for, for many reasons. And I'm going to now hold up this, this little piece here, which is now the shape of this is what they call the Tanit. So the Tanit was an ancient goddess of the Moroccan, the Berber people. But when they all became Islamic, they were not allowed to wear images and things like that. So this shape, this little head and the body, which is there in their weaving, it's there in their printing, it's there in their jewelry at some point, is the representative of Tanit. Okay. And then again, you have the kamsa, the hand. So that again was a Jewish tradition because most of the silversmiths in early Morocco were Jewish. Yeah, because you find that in Israel. So yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So they called it the hand of Miriam. And in Morocco and in Turkey, it's called the hand of Fatima, the sister of Muhammad, the prophet. So basically, it's, 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 a sign, it's worn for protection. And a lot of the time, it's also worn at the back. You know, there's a long strand hanging with this kamsa at the back. Because it protects you when you're walking in front from people behind you who might have evil intentions. You know, so a lot of these things are so interesting when you go into reading about old jewelry. I think that's what fascinates me most. And my first exhibition also came on very organically when I went to London, I, 2009, yes, or 2008, actually. Took something for a friend of mine, and uh, she works at the British Council, so she wore it in the morning, and everybody loved it. So she just called me and said, do you have any more? Because people, you know, really, really like it. I said, I have about three or four. So she said, you, can you part with them? I said, yeah, I, I don't mind. And she sold them all wow. within about two hours. <laughs> they were much simpler at that time to what I'm doing now. Yeah. And she was working with a Sri Lankan charity, which uh, looked after deaf and blind children, the small deaf and blind schools in Sri Lanka. So she asked me, she said, would you like to come next year to London and when you, whenever you come, do a little exhibition for our charity? And I said, sure. So that was my first exhibition. And something told me that probably that was what it was meant to be. So all the shows that I have support a charity. All the profits go to that charity. I only take my costs back. So usually it's about 45% of the entire take. And right now I have about five or six charities on my list, which I support regularly. One is the Deaf and Blind Aid one, and one is I India in Jaipur. But then I have had a lot of other charities come forward for help at various times, and I have supported them. In Singapore, it is the Children's Hospice at KK Hospital. So I do that for them usually once a year when I have my Singapore show. And the, the best part of it is, Pile, it gives me something to do, it's something I love doing hours ago when, you know, i working with all these things. And I also now have people in all these places who have again organically turned up, who provide me with a lot of the stuff. I don't need to travel as much. So... So that's uh, in a nutshell. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, where do you, so where are, so obviously you do all the designing. So the creative is all done by you. And so, but where are the artisans? Where, you know. This is me. The artisan is me as well. 
I'm just going to show you my workbench, which is very messy, but that's where everything happens. Okay. So I have, I have nobody who puts these together for me or does any work for me. Oh. I do it all myself. So, and I think that's the, that's the nicest part. So this area that you see here is where I work. It's very messy. So, so what I usually do is I pull out the, the pendant that I'm going to use. Sometimes I pull out multiple pendants and put them up around me, pick out the beads I need. And uh, sometimes I pick something out and I work with it. There's sometimes there's one hanging around that doesn't. Yeah, so you said, you mentioned that you do all the, you're the artisan and you did very quickly, you know, show me yeah. your work studio so typically how long would it take you to say you know once you've had the creative idea in your head how long would it take you to put say a piece of a necklace together and again do you only do I mean do you do bracelets and earrings and necklaces and all of that and what you know what is it that you prefer to work with more than the other? I actually, I prefer to do necklaces, maybe because I wear a lot of them. And so that's what interests me most. So most of the time, what I do are necklaces, and they can typically take anything between an hour to two or three hours, if it's very complicated. Sometimes a necklace just falls together with, without a lot of effort. It just seems to want to know what it wants to go with okay. and sometimes I sort of pick and change and move it around quite a bit I only do earrings and bracelets just before a show because I know that people come looking for them and because I need to sell enough in order to give away whatever I need to so I just do a whole brace of earrings and bracelets I do have some old bangles which I source that's the only thing I source and sell without having any work done by me okay the old, the old bangles but yeah bracelets and earrings are usually I do just before a sale okay. I don't pick something out and think oh I'll do a pair of earrings it's almost always a necklace you're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Pio, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. You mentioned beads, you mentioned silver. Uh, so mm -hmm. what are the main um, things that you work with or do you also work with other stones like, you know, uh, the more exquisite stones like rubies or sapphires or whatever? I did start with, you know, rubies, sapphires, aquamarines, things like that. But as my jewelry seems to have moved more into like an organic tribal kind of design, I use less. I, I use a lot of amber. I, I use a lot of a resin that is very much like amber, but not as expensive but also very old. They don't make that any, I mean, it's not around a lot now called Kopal. And I use lapis and turquoise a lot and agates. So I also source a lot of ancient beads. So I have a lot of ancient agates. I use coral quite a bit. Okay. So, where do you source these from? 
depends now the corals i have some coral from india but the mediterranean corals are what i use more of oh. and the amber again i don't use baltic amber as much the transparent one i use more the butterscotch one which is usually available in north africa mali morocco that region and then i have this other resin which is actually a phenolic resin which was made in the 1920s out of bakelite and that was used by a lot of the poorer tribes who couldn't afford the amber but it is an amazing looking bead you can't i mean if somebody told me it was amber i wouldn't know the difference except that the hardness is different amber is very hard whereas this they say is you know can break it it looks exactly like amber so i use a lot of the phenolic resin and i'm very careful to say it is in a lot of my work because amber is now so expensive that it just drives up the cost of the necklace so much hmm, right so what is special in sri lanka what are the different stones or beads that you know are very very unique to sri lanka and sri lanka has a lot of the sapphires and those sort of stones which i don't use a lot of okay. plus in sri lanka they do not drill for beads so even if you get sri lankan ruby beads there are beads that have been bought in sri lanka taken to jaipur and drilled there so so sri lanka does not they do more of the gemstones for setting I but i have also sourced some old silver from sri lanka which is again very rare because it's not worn today like in india we still wear the same kind of silver jewelry even today mm-hmm. but sri lankans have stopped and so it's mostly in the candy area the candy and silver when i was there i, I never paid any attention attention to it <laughs> and now i find all these european like friends and contacts of mine in the jewelry world who are going gaga over these and i've managed to then go back and like root around and find a few pieces but i think the best has already gone mm-hmm. yeah. yeah wow it's quite interesting so you're basically a one woman show and absolutely yes <laughs> and yeah, it's fascinating to to be able, um, and i think the satisfaction that you must get because right from sourcing it to creating it designing it and then ultimately putting it together as a final piece of jewelry must be so satisfying for you and and obviously there is a purpose behind it because as you mentioned yeah. our uh, you give back you know and that's really the the objective but yeah. time that you've created a piece of jewelry which you're doing you know on an ongoing basis do you ever like have that personal connect with a piece of jewelry where you're reluctant to to part with it because of multiple reasons maybe it's come out absolutely spectacular maybe during the process you got very you know attached to it maybe it's it's something that's caught your eye i don't know do you go through that at any point in time where you get really attached to I'm not saying it from a material point of view. No, I know, I know. And it happens. It absolutely happens, but sometimes it's not for the more spectacular pieces and I have to confess I I kind of take them upstairs when I think oh I'm going to keep this. 
And very often there are pieces which I have taken up to my personal stash and I haven't really worn. And then after a while I go through them and I think, I think this needs to go back down again. And yes, you're very right. There are some pieces that even if I don't wear, I feel, you know, a little, a little pang when it goes. They're all very personal to me because when I'm working with them, I think it's a kind of a meditation in a way. My thoughts just sort of move. And there have been two instances where people who bought a necklace from me said that it made them feel, feel very good whenever they wore it. One was this lady in England who came for one of my shows. She was a doctor, had just got married, I think, and was pregnant, but she it was a late pregnancy. She was 40-something. Anyway, there was this piece that I really loved. And I said, look, I, I'm not going to sell it. And my husband said, why don't you just put it out and put a price on it? If it goes, it goes. If it doesn't, it's yours. And I did that. And this girl bought it. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. The next year, she came back for my show with her baby. And she told me that she said she wanted to speak to everyone who was there. And I said, yeah, sure. We had about 20 people milling around. And she said she went through a very difficult pregnancy because she was older and she had issues and problems and she felt depressed. And she said the last month of her pregnancy, she wore this necklace almost all the time. And it made her feel so good. And I think for me, that was, that was something that makes it all really, really Worth. worthwhile yeah, yeah. letting yeah. that go yeah and there have been a couple of others who have also said you know we feel really good wearing your jewelry and I think that's because a lot of people make beautiful jewelry I'm not the only one out there so it also makes you feel good when people say yeah there's something something about your work that makes us feel good and uh, I, I feel that it's the labor of love you know and somehow I even though it's the, the piece of jewelry doesn't really speak because it's at the end of the day, it's something that's material. But yeah. It's the love and uh, the labor that you put into it somehow creates that expression. You know, that's probably what it is. It just happens unknowingly, but yeah, yeah. I think it's energies, you know, it's sometimes, energy. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I can completely um, understand that. And yeah, and it's quite, quite fascinating. So your journey, you know, continues with this whole process. What else do you do outside of creating these masterpieces? And that's what I'm going to call them because I've gone onto your website and I've looked at them. Okay. And- quite stunning so what else do you do outside of that well it's just now my husband and me here we have two dogs whom we love and the newest one is a puppy and she's really I I realized I'm really too old to have a puppy it's like having a two-year-old running around but she keeps us busy right I've missed my children who are away I have a son in London who is a doctor and has two little boys and I have a daughter in the States who's a lawyer. And this year and a half, we haven't really seen each other at all. But I'm hoping to go on the 15th to London. And then I think she will come over. So a bit of a pang because I have sort of children to leave here as well. But yeah, I think right. I'm going to do it anyway, I hope. 
yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my time just goes with with that. I have a few friends that belong. I love to read. So I have a couple of book clubs I belong to. And um, yes, more than that, I don't think I do much with my life, really. <laughs> no, but I think all power to you for the fact that, you know, you put in so much effort into creating and more importantly, using the, the profits from it to give back to the various communities, which I think is is phenomenal. So thank you so much, Rashanta, for talking to me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and you know wish you all the very best and I thank hope- you pile thank you for having me here and yes it's been a pleasure talking to you as well thank you thank you and i'm going to get on to your website and have a closer look at you know some of the accessories which i already have an eye on so thank you so much thank you pile okay have a great day today thank you you too bye bye For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.